Good morning. I'm not Josh. Sorry. A couple of you this morning grabbed me and said, I can't wait to hear you. You're one of my favorite preachers. You need a New Year's resolution. That or you need to up your quality of, of, of sermons you hear. It is a privilege to be here with you guys. I absolutely enjoy my time with y'all. And, you know, they give me the last year, last Sunday of the month, last Sunday of the year. And so I did some research. 37 out of 100 people are making a New Year's resolution tonight. 63 of us are smarter. (laughs) Of those 37 people, 16 people will actually accomplish their New Year's resolution. Congratulations, we don't like you. I mean, just trying to state some facts from the heart. So the top five resolutions for 2024, according to the internet, because we know everything we read on the internet is true. Improved fitness. Check. Improved finances. Moving on. Improved mental health. Be quiet. Lose weight. None of your business. Improved diet. I don't like this introduction, so let's start over. The average resolution starts on the first day and lasts three and a half months at best. In fact, failing at New Year's resolutions has become so common that there's two unofficial dates. National Quitters Day, January 12th. (laughs) And ditch that New Year's resolution day, January 17th. Who said there's not hope for our country? Anyhow, so with this in mind, I came up with some resolutions. I'm going to quit all my bad habits. And then I realized none of you people are like a quitter. So I took care of that one. Last year, I had a resolution to lose 20 pounds. I've only got 30 to go. So as the clock strikes midnight tonight, my prayers for you is this, that you'll have the stamina to wish all your Facebook friends a happy new year at 1201. And finally, I pray that you all become smart enough to realize that the resolutions are seldom successful. And I pray that you become wise enough to know that the difference between a new year and an old year is one minute past 12 a.m. For my family, at least my wife and I, midnight is now 10 o'clock. Amen. So, for those of us who are joining us, we'll drop the ball. I've got a tennis ball I'm dropping off in the living room and going straight to bed. It'll be wonderful. So, instead of focusing on resolutions, I want us to focus on something different. I want us to focus on the opportunity to discover some things about ourselves and our church and rediscover some things about ourselves and our church to create change, to start Something new. It's not just a new year. We're seeing a season of ministry come to a conclusion and a new season start. It's a time of bittersweetness. And so I want us to look at Second Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to go through some verses. I'm not going to read all 36. I would not want to punish you that way. But to lead into it, King Ahaz was the king prior to Hezekiah. And King Ahaz had shut up the temple. They were under attack from many enemies. Some of these enemies he made friends with. Some of these enemies he became alliance 
created alliances with. And then he started worshiping their gods as part of the agreement. So he shut up the temple. He took all the gold and silver worship items and articles out of the temple. And that was his life. And, and in fact, scripture is very clear that Ahaz did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then you have Hezekiah. So if you look at 2 Chronicles 29, we're going to read verses 2 through 5. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors to the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. And he said to them, listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves. And consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanliness out from this holy place. Jump down to verse 20. Then King Hezekiah got up early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls and seven rams and seven lambs and made seven male goats a sin offering for the kingdom, the sanctuary in Judah. He ordered the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. They took the lambs as well and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought the male goats of the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests slaughtered them and purified the altar with their blood to atone for all of Israel, because the king ordered burnt offerings and the sin offering for all Israel. Verse 28. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers sang and the trumpet sounded. And all of this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now, at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and those who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and asked for the seer. So they sang their praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said... Now that you've consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come forward and bring sacrifices and thanksgiving offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thanksgiving offerings, and everyone was willing to brought burnt offerings. Verse 36. Then Hezekiah and the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people, because this thing came suddenly. So the first thing we see in verses 3 through 5 is immediately Hezekiah in the first year, in the first month of his reign, He consecrates the temple and he has the the priests consecrate themselves. Consecrate, that's a big word. And throughout the Bible, we see this, this theme occur. And it's talking about being set apart for a specific purpose. Consecration is a deliberate act of devotion. It requires intentionality, a commitment to living a life that is set apart for God's purposes. There is a difference between I am a believer And I am a disciple. There is a difference between a believer and a disciple. Many people believe, heck, Satan and the the demons believe. But a disciple is someone who is completely committed and devoted themselves to the teaching. To Christ. They are all in. Every part of who they are and what they do is under the umbrella of discipleship. Consecration is linked to spiritual discipline. It involves making the choices that align yourself to God's will. Even when it's difficult or goes against our natural inclination. If you say to me, Wayne, I have no 
natural inclination. I'm going to ride with you to downtown Dallas during rush hour. See what your natural inclination is. Oh, bless his soul. He cut me off. Isn't he precious? I'm just not thinking that's what you're saying. I know that's not what Jana, my wife, says, but never mind. Anyways. It's also about purity. It's the process of removing anything that's going to hinder our relationship with God. And creating space for his presence in our lives. It's fascinating around this time of year of how people will come to the church and want to have a conversation. And a lot of times it's people that have no connection to our church. That have no connection really to, to faith life per se in a body of believers. But they grew up with it. They, that's something in their past. And they want to reconnect. And they want to start afresh. Start new. And they want to just kind of dump everything that's going on and make this conscious move into a new life. And I get to hear people's stories every year, especially this time of year. And the conversation comes around to, okay, then it's going to require you doing the work of submitting and letting yourself become a disciple under Jesus Christ. And I wish I could say that every one of those people I've ever talked to that were not members of our church are here today. They're not. I mean, God love each one of you and God love me, but we're a stubborn people. Submitting our will to someone else, God, sometimes that's a hard thing to do. We don't want to. But it's essential for that disciple's life. And we've got to stop doing that same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. We have to intentionally choose to follow Christ, to become more than just that believer, but to become that disciple. It's an act of devotion, sacrifice, and commitment that requires a daily discipline and a heart that is intentionally and wholly surrendered to God. Paul tells the church in Rome, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are the sacrifice. We are the ones that are to yield ourselves to God and let God take control and let God direct and guide. Does that mean we're not going to have conflict? Oh, heck no. We're going to have conflict. Because what I want is not always what God wants. And God's timing is definitely not my timing. The life I envisioned for myself is nothing about the life that God envisioned for me. And I'm just one individual. But if I am going to allow myself to be consecrated, if I'm going to yield myself to God, then I have to be willing to be molded and shaped into the image and the person that God wants me to be. In the easy times and in the difficult. In the times when everything seems to go your way, and I've heard from some people that you know there are days that you can experience that nothing goes wrong. I'm looking forward to that day. It'll probably happen three days after I've passed and you've had my funeral and I'm buried and dead. But hey, that's going to be a great day. But then there's those days where nothing goes right. The world turns against you. Everything you do blows up in your face. Every good intention, even the right choices are having ramifications that really are not fun experiences in your personal walk. I mean, have you not experienced that? If you've not, I need a counselor to talk to me in a little while. And so to be consecrated, sometimes it's that good and that bad stuff that happens that we have to allow ourselves to be molded and shaped. 
If you look at verses 31 through, uh, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 24, you see that, that then Hezekiah moves into this time of worship. They've slaughtered the animals. They've purified the altar with the blood of the animals to atone for Israel's sin. And that's what they did until Christ. And once Christ came, he is the blood sacrifice, not an animal. He's the living sacrifice that we now fall under. And so we have to bring ourselves to God as living sacrifices because Jesus has done the heavy lifting. And if you go on into verse 30, you see that they sang praises with joy and bowed and worshiped God. Why? Because Hezekiah was bringing them to a place of repentance, to renewal, and to a fresh beginning. His father did evil in the sight of the Lord. His grandfather did evil in the sight of the Lord. You go look through Hezekiah's life and guess what? He's one of the greatest kings we've had next to David. And he had a heart that honored God throughout his lifetime. Totally different than his father and his grandfather. And so you've got this moment where we have the same mandate. And Peter tells us in his book that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once we accept Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, once we submit our will to his, we become his disciple. Part of our purpose for existing is so that we can worship the creator and redeemer of our life. Then you move into this third section, and it's a time of thanksgiving. Verses 31 and 36 shows us that they are, they've consecrated themselves, they spent time worshiping, and now they're bringing sacrifices and thanksgiving offerings. They're giving thanksgiving of both the trials and the blessings of life. And I had all these great verses that I was going to read to you about the good and bad moments of life, but I want to read you something that I got this week, and I'll try not to get emotional. It's transplant day. I can't tell you the range of emotions, but mainly overwhelming gratitude. So grateful that our angel bone marrow donor, Morgan Gromberg, so grateful for all the praying for us, grateful for our doctors and nurses, and grateful for God, the great physician. Stem cells, find your new home, and do your thing. Pray for healing. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Kimberly Gromberg. You have a family going through a difficult moment, a bone marrow transplant. I can't imagine something more heavy for a parent than to watch both girls going through that. And what does she do on Facebook? She praises God. She worships God and gives thanks. I teach in a senior adult men's class. We've nicknamed them the boys. We run a tight crew. One day y'all be old enough to hang out with us. But our boys are dealing with hard situations in life. 
I've watched these men over the last five, ten years go from strong, active men. They're struggling with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. They're dealing with health issues. And yet that group of men and women love on each other. They are the church to one another. Me? I replaced a radiator for my daughter's car in October. Two weeks later, that car went to heaven. We won't go into any discussion. Two weeks after that, my wife's car goes in, gets a new radiator. Two weeks after that, my truck is in the shop. Can you guess what it's getting? A new radiator. Apparently, we run hot in the cotton family. So then I decide, well, go ahead. You know, Lord, thank you. It's inconvenient. It's irritating. I'm frustrated. But take care. Do a tune-up on the truck. We'll do all this. My wife gets me in the Jeep this morning to drive here. She puts it in reverse. We're on an incline. We're standing still. (laughs) It doesn't move. She puts it into first gear. We go forward. We put it into reverse. We stand still about three foot closer to the garage door. Apparently, I'm going to get a new transmission this year, praise Jesus. It's irritating. It's frustrating. It's things that make me want to say ugly things. But my girls are healthy and safe. So why do I have the right to complain? Why do I have the right to be frustrated or irritated or angry? Thank you, Lord, that we had some cash in the bank that can cover it. I will not buy any of you coffee for the next six months. Sorry, I can't afford it. But thank you, Lord. And so even in those moments, we've got to be thankful to God. I mean, we've got to be like a Kimberly Gromberg. We've got to be like a a Steger in fight class where they are thanking God even in these moments of health and life issues. Not lightweight stuff. It's not a car transmission or a radiator. It's nothing major. It's big time stuff. And yet they're thanking God even in those hard moments. To thank God in everything and for everything is a fruit of their faith and their faithfulness to God. It's an outcome of complete trust and trust in a God who knows best and brings us eternal life, peace, and joy. So this morning we have an opportunity to spend some time consecrating ourselves, spend some time worshiping God, thanking God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will be doing, not only in each of us, but also in the life of our church. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on who we are and where we've come from. Many, many years ago, before many of you were born, a church was established in Louisville. Less than a mile up the road. That church eventually moved across town. We call it Old Town. Back then, they just called it Town. You'll get that later. And as that church grew, they realized they wanted to make a move. And so they bought some property off of where we're at now. They paid a sum of money for it, began to pray about next steps. And by the way, pray for getting a pastor. It kind of helps to move a church with a pastor. It's crazy. Was offered three times what they paid for it less than a year and a half later and turned it down. And then they called the Hatfields here and said, 
we'd like to call you to be our pastor. He said, okay. I'm paraphrasing. He said, oh, by the way, we're moving. And they let him move along. And under his, his leadership, we moved here. The entire campus. And so if you go to Old Town now, there's a bunch of different buildings, but there's still remnants of who we were there, but here we are now. Last week, Troy talked about because. Because this happened, that happened, right? Well, the reason you're having to listen to me right now is because Stephen Hatfield allowed somebody to hire me, and you crazy people went along with it. It's y'all's fault. We blame you. But under Stephen's leadership, I learned a ton of stuff. I did. I grew and matured. I went from being a half wit to five eighths of a wit. I went from being kind of a, a fat, brown haired children's minister to a kind of fat, white haired, whatever I am right now. We are who we are because of that leadership. And then he decided that God had told him it was time. And he took the courage to say, you know what, guys, I love this place. I love this church and I love it deep enough. I'm stepping down. And so then we began a process of searching of who does God want for us? And here we are. We have a pastor coming to the office on Tuesday. We have a pastor who's going to be leading us in the pulpit next week. And I'm doing my best to make Josh look really good right now. (laughs) So I want you to hear a word from Josh real quick. Hey, what's up? Good morning, First Baptist Church. Um, I just wanted to make a quick video. Wayne asked and and allowed me to do this um, and give you a quick update. We are so excited to be with you guys next week. As you can see from my breath, it is pretty cold up here in Arkansas right now. So we're excited to get back down south. No, I know it's just as cold down there. Um, We are in the middle of moving. And so the house is filled with boxes and we're eating off of paper plates. And all of that's good. If you've ever moved your family across the country, then you know how absolutely exciting that is and and can be. Um, I've had so many people reach out and ask what they can do uh, for us. And so there's a couple of things that I would ask you to do. The first one is just pray for us. Pray that we sell our house. If we could sell our house here in Conway, that would be uh, the absolute best uh, thing for us. And then the other thing I'm going to ask you specifically to do is to reach out to those in the church, um, those who you know that maybe haven't been in the last couple months, maybe years, and invite them back. Next week is the start of something new. Uh, What has been is great and exciting. And we're excited about building on that legacy. But next week is a perfect time to get back involved and to invest and to push and to lean back into your church family. So if you look around the room now, even now, and see some folks that you haven't or, or you don't see some folks that you haven't seen in a while, reach out to them. And uh, maybe you're wrong. Maybe they were just on the other side of the sanctuary. That's okay. Just tell them you love them. And you can't wait to see them this next Sunday. I can't wait to see you this next Sunday. Have a great Sunday morning. Happy New Year. And I'll see you next Sunday.
So we're going to end this with some intercession over the King family and over our church. But before we can go there, we have to take a moment to consecrate ourselves. We have to take a moment to get ourselves to the place where we can be interceding. So for the next few moments, here's what I want us to do. We have an opportunity to build on what's going on and what's been going on in the life of our church. And we have an opportunity to start something new. So, in the next few moments of prayer, there will be prompts on the screen and I will walk you through them. But this is also an opportunity for you to come to the altar and pray, to find a brother or sister in Christ in the room and pray with them. If there's someone in this room that's hurt you and they don't even know it, it's an opportunity for you to go to them and say, look, I'm not beating you up. I'm not accusing you. I just want you to know I was really hurt by this and I just want to let that go. Or maybe you've done something and you know you've done it and you're like, I need to go own some stuff. You know, I said this harshly to you. I said this in anger. I did this and I was wrong. Let's spend some time today as we end this year making sure that we're walking into next year with a pure, clean heart. We have this beautiful opportunity to start fresh and start new and it not be a resolution. It become a lifestyle, a way of life. It becomes who we are. So I ask you right now, stand, sit, it doesn't matter. We're going to move into a time of prayer. And the first I want us to start with is consecration. Is there a sin that you need to confess? If so, offer it up to the Lord right now. next is there a spiritual discipline that you need to start practicing do you need to be more intentional in your prayer life more intentional in memorizing scripture more intentional in doing the daily work of being a disciple whatever that is offer it to the Lord and commit it to the Lord Third, is there a relationship you need to restore? Maybe they're in the room. Maybe you need to take care of that today. Maybe it's a phone call you're going to have to make later today. Or schedule an opportunity to get together. But if we want to be the bride of Christ God has called us to be, we've got to start at a pure place a place where we're set apart, a place that we have consecrated ourselves. Pray for those conversations. Now as we move into worship, I want to read you a scripture and just worship God through the reading. I exalt you, my God, the King, and I praise your name forever and ever.
Psalm 145. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Isaiah 40, 28. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. Daniel 2, 19. Finally, we move into prayers of thanksgiving. Give thanks to God for all he's done and is doing and will do in your life. It is for your good and his glory. Next, give thanks to God for his church. At First Baptist Louisville. And finally, give thanks to God for the King family, the opportunity they get to begin a new season with us here. Pray for their safety as they move, and pray for their home to sell in Arkansas. In these last few moments, what I want to do as we're in this attitude of prayer is this, very simple. You have opportunities to make some things right. So during this invitation, we won't go long. You have an opportunity to come and pray at the altar. You have an opportunity to grab someone and pray with them. You have an opportunity to come and say, you know what? This has all been interesting, but I don't even know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't know what you even mean when you say that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're like, I know what it means. I've done it. I just haven't been living it. And I want to start fresh. I want to start anew. Well, come down. We'd love to to pray with you through that. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You're like, I don't even know how to do this. Heck, post-COVID, we don't even know how to do it. So we'll figure it out together. But maybe you need a place to call home. I will tell you, I would never want to fight, love, and be in the presence of a better place than here. And finally, maybe you're just, you're not sure what you're looking for. Maybe you're not sure what the next step is. Let's at least talk. Maybe we can discover that next step for you together. So I ask you to quietly stand. In an attitude of prayer, the author is yours. Julie and I will be down front and we would love to talk with you.